From iHeart Podcast, Supreme, the battle for Roe, tells the story of the unlikely champions behind the landmark case Roe v. Wade. Starring Maya Hawk as 26-year-old lead attorney Sarah Weddington. We're challenging the Texas abortion laws in federal court. And Academy Award nominee William H. Macy as Supreme Court Justice Harry Blackman. Time is not the most important factor. Getting it right is. Listen to the podcast Supreme, the battle for Roe on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Introducing the revolutionary mascara from CoverGirl that adds extreme volume, up to 300% more volume than bare lashes. New Lash Blast Cleantopia is the plant-powered mascara made with 72% natural origin ingredients and infused with cellulose plant fibers. Cleantopia is like a green thumb for your lashes. For lush, check-me-out lashes that last up to 24 hours with no smudging, no flaking, and no clumps. Put the power of plants to work for you with new Lash Blast Cleantopia Mascara. Only from Easy Breezy Beautiful CoverGirl. Welcome to Adventures in the Spirit with Jared Lasky. Our hope is that you will be encouraged and equipped through this podcast as we have conversations with friends from around the world. You can subscribe to our podcast and go to our website, firebornministries.com, and sign up for our email list to stay up to date on Fireborn Ministries. And may you have your own Adventures in the Spirit. And now we hope you enjoy today's podcast. Thank you so very much for joining into Adventures in the Spirit. I want to encourage you, as always, if you want a free prophetic activation download, please click the link that is provided. It's a five-day prophetic activation so that you can hear God and you can prophesy. But guys, I'm excited for today's special guest. I personally have been teaching on the last days on eschatology. I've got an e-course available on charismacourses.com available for you. I'm also coaching people through that every week this month. If you purchase that e-course this month of May of 2021, uh, you'll have access to the live coaching videos, whether you jump in live or you want to jump in, uh, watch on your time. Or if you purchase it later, uh, you will have access to all those materials Uh, all those videos as well for you. So I wanted to bring a different perspective today about the end times. This is actually a viewpoint that I was raised upon in my small, rural, amazing church in Fall Creek, Oregon. Uh, My dad actually had taught um, eschatology and he he said he's an all-millennialist. So I'm bringing Dr. Sam Storms to Adventures in the Spirit. He's actually got a podcast as well on the Charisma Podcast Network. It's called Exploring Word and Spirit with Sam Storms storms. And his brief bio says that he's an amillennial, Calvinistic, charismatic, credo-baptistic, complementarian, Christian hedonist who loves his wife of 47 years, his two daughters, his four grandchildren. He loves books, baseball, movies, and all things Oklahoma University. In 2008, Sam became the lead pastor for preaching and vision at Bridgeway Church in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. He serves as a member of the Council of the Gospel Coalition, and he's a past president of the Evangelical Theological Society. So it is an honor for me to introduce you to Dr. Sam Storms to Adventures in the Spirit. Dr. Sam, welcome. It's good to be with you today. I'm looking forward to this. Well, me too, sir. It's an honor. It's a pleasure. As, as I'd said uh, just a few minutes ago before going live here, I've been bringing different perspectives on eschatology, the study of last things, the study of the end times. I know that there are some very popular views, especially here in North America, but I honestly wanted to present your viewpoint as you've got some books on this. You have a, a different perspective, which correct me if I'm wrong. I think that there are tens of millions of people who 
ascribe to this viewpoint uh, called all millennialism. So Mm -hmm. Dr. Sam, if you could, I know that that's a loaded topic, a lot of information there, but let's get to know you first and then we could jump into theology all millennialism. So can you tell us a little bit more about yourself other than what was in that short bio? Uh, You gave it all. Uh, but with one correction, I need to update it. My wife and I will have been married 49 years in 40. a couple of months. Amazing. So, uh, we're, we're approaching the half century mark, which we're going to celebrate properly. Yeah. But I, um, again, I was born and raised in Oklahoma, graduated university of Oklahoma, Dallas theological seminary. And of course my view on eschatology is decidedly different from that, which I was taught at Dallas seminary. Yeah. I have great respect for Dallas. I love the school, the profs, but I have uh, moved on beyond the view that they embraced. I taught theology at Wheaton College for four years. And like you mentioned, I do have a podcast with a Charisma called Exploring Word and Spirit. I post podcasts twice a week on Tuesday and Friday mornings. Uh, so, yeah, I'm glad to be with you. I'm glad to talk about millennialism. So do, anything that you want me to say about it, I'd be happy to say. Well, yes, sir. So uh, you'd mentioned that you were at Dallas Seminary, Dallas Theological mm-hmm. Seminary. So I've got an interesting background myself. I went to Eugene Bible College, which taught the uh, pre-trib, pre-mill viewpoint. Uh, it it mm-hmm. did kind of give us a survey of the other viewpoints, but very strong in pre-mill, pre-trib uh, eschatology. I went to Shepherd's Theological Seminary, Fundamental Baptist Seminary, which is dispensational, pre-millennial, pre-trib, pre-mill. And then I went to Regent University for my MDiv, which is ecumenically evangelical, lots of different mm-hmm. viewpoints, discussions, and things like that. But how did you go from, well, say mm-hmm. Dallas into sure. all millennialism? Yeah, it's quite a journey. Yeah, when I was at Dallas, and in fact, for my whole life up until the time I got to Dallas, I was a dispensational, pre-tribulational, pre-millennialist. And really the transformation came about, I think, by God's providence. I was in my second year at Dallas, and we were in a class on the Greek exegesis of the book of Ephesians, and we were arbitrarily assigned by the professor um, a paragraph in Ephesians that we had to write our term paper on, and I was given Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, and this is the passage which talks about Gentiles prior to coming of Christ as being separated from the commonwealth of Israel, aliens to the promises without God, without hope in the world. But because of the work of Christ, Gentiles have now been brought near. They have been made fellow heirs uh, with uh, believing Jews, part of the you know fellow citizens of the commonwealth of Israel. And what that did was it, it immediately called into question in my thinking, this distinction between Israel and the church, which is at the very core of dispensationalism. And so from that study of Ephesians 2, I pretty much came to the view that uh, the church is the true Israel, not a new Israel. Nobody's been replaced. I mean, oftentimes people mistake the view I hold for replacement theology, and I reject that outright. I believe that all believing Jews of any age will inherit all the promises made in the Old Testament. Nobody's been displaced or replaced. It's just that some now have been included namely believing Gentiles. So in Revelation 11, you know, Paul talks about this one olive tree, talks about natural branches, which are, of course, believing Jewish men and women, unnatural branches being grafted in, that's believing Gentiles, to constitute one people of God who will together inherit the promises. So that was the first step in my journey. 
And then right after I graduated from Dallas, I sat down and thought, I'm going to read the New Testament and ask the question, what does it say is going to happen at the second coming of Jesus? What, what, what events are explicitly said to occur when Christ returns? And I discovered that there was a uniform teaching of the New Testament, namely that when Christ returns, all physical death ends. You know, Paul talks about death being swallowed up in victory in 1 Corinthians 15. So there's no physical death beyond the time of the second coming. Uh, at the time of the second coming, the lost are cast into the lake of fire. They are judged. There's one final judgment. They're cast into the lake of fire. Thirdly, uh, the natural creation is delivered from the curse. Romans 8, the curse is lifted at the same time as the children of God receive their glorified bodies. I saw that the new heavens and the new earth were introduced at the time of the second coming, that the bodily resurrection of all people, both believers and non-believers, happens at the time of the second coming. I thought, wow, there's, a, there's something going on here. And then I realized the problem that posed for premillennialism. Because if you're a premillennialist, whether you're dispensational or historic premill, you must believe certain things. You must believe that physical death continues into this 1,000-year period after the second coming. You must believe that the bodily resurrection is separated by a 1,000 years for believers and non-believers, and in fact, that there are multiple resurrections happening throughout the 1,000 years. You must believe that the judgment of the lost doesn't happen until a 1,000 years after the uh, second coming of Jesus. You must believe that the natural creation is still suffering under the curse during the time of the thousand years, because there are non-believers um, who are present on the earth. And then one other thing, I, I left out one other. I saw that at the time of the second coming, all hope for salvation comes to an end. The time of salvation is now, and when Christ returns, that's the end of any opportunity to be saved. But if you're a premillennialist, you have to believe that that opportunity extends for an additional 1,000 years. So I'm, I'm faced with these these two realities, all these things that a premillennialist must believe, as over against, on the other hand, these things that the New Testament says happen at the second coming, and they are contradictory. They, they can't both be true. And I just couldn't get away from what the New Testament said happens at the time of the second coming. And I thought, bottom line is that precludes the possibility of an additional 1,000 years of human history after the second coming, during which all these things transpire. So that was the end of premillennialism for me. So I knew about amillennialism. By the way, I don't like the label amillennial, but it's, right. it's there. It's stuck. And what does amillennial mean? Yeah, because when you put the alpha privative in front of the word millennium, it sends the message that I deny the reality of a millennium. And I don't, because Revelation 20 talks about 1,000 years. But I think that's a reference in figurative language to the whole present age in which we live, from the, from the time of the exaltation of Jesus to the right hand of the Father to the time of his second coming. And it refers to what is happening in heaven right now. So I believe the millennial reign is what the saints who have died and gone to be with Christ are doing together with Jesus throughout the course of this present age. Jesus is ruling and reigning right now. and those who have died and gone to be with Christ are sharing that. They're experiencing what we might call a co-regency with Christ. That's the ruling and reigning that I think Revelation 20 is talking about. So I do believe in the millennium. 
I just don't believe it's a literal 1,000 years that you could kind of mark off on a calendar. I don't believe it happens after the second coming. I believe it's ongoing right now, spanning the time between the first coming and the second coming, and it occurs in heaven in what we call the intermediate state. Do you believe we are living in the end times? Are we seeing the signs of the times Jesus talked about with wars, rumors of wars, famines, pestilences, and earthquakes? With recent events of social unrest on the streets worldwide, a pandemic, and the shaking taking place in the political realm, we want to answer your questions and calm your fears by giving you hope through our e-course, The Last Days, A Reformation in Eschatology. You can go through the e-course on your time, diving deep into learning how to study apocalyptic and prophetic passages of Scripture. You'll do a study on the mark of the beast and learn about the signs of the times Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21, and hear what the major views of the end times are and learn what the rapture really is. We will lay a grounded and biblical answer to a number of your questions about the end times, and you'll learn if Bible codes are real, and you'll hear if the Shemitah applies to us today, and make up your own mind if the United States of America is prophesied in the Bible. I want to give you a warning. This e-course, The Last Days, A Reformation in Eschatology, may shatter your worldview and what you have been traditionally taught about the end times. Go to www.charismacourses.com to purchase The Last Days, A Reformation in Eschatology with Jared Lasky e-course today. Gotcha. So is the millennium the current and all-millennial viewpoint uh, is that the kingdom of God here now? Well, some amillennialists would say yes. I don't. Okay. I do believe the kingdom of God is here. And it's, uh, you know, Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God when he came. He made that very clear. The kingdom will be consummated when he returns at his second coming. But I believe the millennium is specifically a reference to what is ongoing. And like I said, in what we call the intermediate state. Uh, believers throughout the course of the church age who've died, who've entered into the presence of Christ, they are now reigning and ruling with him in what I think the millennium is. There are other amillennialists, and in fact, almost all postmillennialists, who say that the millennium is on earth. It's the ever-expansive development of the kingdom of God through the ministry of the church and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just say this. I believe that's true. I believe the kingdom is expanding, growing through the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. I just don't think that's what Revelation 20 is talking about when it talks about this thousand-year reign. I think that is describing what's happening in heaven at the present time. Gotcha. Here's a question, because this is very relevant today. You've already mentioned Israel. We have a conflict raging right now between Hamas. Oh, I know it. And and today here in the U.S. on the East Coast, we've got a gas shortage because of a hack of a massive pipeline. Uh, people are running, you know, it's their the gas stations are are full. My my wife went to a gas station, found one that was, you know, very few cars, but others are packed right now as people are running. And people say that these are signs of the times. Uh, spoken of Matthew twenty four, Mark thirteen, Luke twenty one. But uh, so with all that, with what's taking place in Israel, with what's taking place now with COVID-19, with, I mean, I've, I've heard of Y2K, you name it, and just in my lifetime, different things sure. supposedly are signs. In your viewpoint, what, how do you speak to this? 
Well, yeah, that gets us into a, a, a lot of deep waters. Um, I do address it, by the way, in my book, Kingdom Come. It's called Kingdom Come, the Amillennial Alternative. I think the majority of Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21 is talking about events that transpired between about 33 AD up until the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD. Now, I'm not a preterist. Preterist, you said you've had preterists on your program. They say that all prophecy, including the second coming of Christ, the final judgment, the resurrection, took place in 70 AD. I think that's heretical. I just, I cannot embrace that at all. But I do believe a great deal of what Jesus talked about in the, in the Olivet Discourse was about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD. So all those signs that are mentioned there, earthquakes, rumors of war, persecution, and so on, I think is describing primarily what led up to 70 AD. However, I also think it's entirely possible that what we read about in the Olivet Discourse was something of a paradigm or blueprint on a local scale for what's going to happen on a global scale as we approach the second coming of Jesus. So the same events that led up to the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 in a localized context in that part of the ancient world could very well be happening on a global scale leading up to the second coming. So I do believe, you know, I'm always a little nervous about people pointing to signs and saying, well, that means that Jesus is coming next week or even next year. I hope they're right, but everybody in history so far has been wrong. And I do think, however, that there are a couple of signs that we can uh, really look to. And I think the primary one is one we are seeing today. And that is the heightened, global, intensified persecution of the church. That seems to me very clear in the book of Revelation, that the oppression of the people of God, the persecution of God's people. I mean, here in the United States, can we really call it persecution? I mean, let's think about our brothers and sisters in North Korea or in Indonesia or, or in Iran or places like that where they're being imprisoned and tortured and losing everything they have. Churches are being uh, burned to the ground. That's persecution. It's almost embarrassing for people in America to say we're being persecuted. Well, yeah, it's going to get worse. I mean, I just read, in fact, I blogged on it on Monday, that a lady who's in the parliament in Finland is facing a two-year prison term because she advocated a biblical view of marriage and sexuality. And people say, wow. And I say, yeah, guess what? That's coming to us. It's happening in Canada. It's going to come to America if we're not careful. So I think that this heightened, intensified persecution, and I mean not just in some places, I mean on a global scale, is perhaps the clearest indication that we are approaching the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. There may be other indications here and there. But I'm a little hesitant to try to, you know, point a finger at those and say that's definitive proof. Um, The the global persecution of the body of Christ, which is so clearly outlined in Revelation, seems to me to be the clearest indication that we ought to be on the alert and prepared. What is happening over there in Jerusalem? I've watched the the videos and read the news of that. You know, dozens of people have been killed. And I, I, I never know 
whether that's the, you know, the spark that's going to lead to a massive outbreak of war in the Middle East, which might be a prelude to the second coming, might be a prelude to the to mass conversions among the Jewish people. I don't know. Um, I'm a little, I'm more than a little, I'm very reluctant to, to say this is that. And, but it certainly is something that we need to keep our eyes on. Well, you mentioned being prepared. So for the Christian, what does that look like? What are Christians supposed to do for preparation? I'll tell you the passage of scripture that I love to point people to when they ask that question. It's in First Peter. I want you just people listening to this. I hope they would open their Bibles. The First Peter, let me find it here. Chapter four. Peter says, beginning in verse seven, the end of all things is at hand. And I think the end of all things there, again, early church lived in the expectation that they were the generation in which Jesus would return. There was this sense of it could happen at any time. So he says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, oh, here it comes. Here's what we're to do in light of the end of the age. Be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Show hospitality one another without grumbling and make use of your spiritual gifts to the building up of the body. And people go, God, that sounds boring. I thought you were going to say, sell our property and run to the hills or whatever. You know, it's, it's amazing. Peter says, Be a prepper. I'm yeah. Joking. No, seriously. Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, love one another with greater intensity. Show hospitality to one another. Pray fervently. Um, you know, use your spiritual gifts for the building up of the body. So should Christians be doing something special if we are the generation in which Jesus returns that other generations wouldn't have done? I don't think so. Certainly we need to be, you know, looking inwardly, testing our own hearts, gauging the the depth of our commitment to Jesus and our devotion to him. I think Obviously, everywhere in Scripture, we need to be studying these texts that talk about persecution. Uh, I think about, I'm preaching through Romans, and I'm in Romans 5, where, where Paul says, we rejoice in our afflictions. And by the way, the word translated affliction or suffering is philipsis, which is the same word used elsewhere for tribulation. Right. And he says, rejoice in it because it produces endurance, and endurance produces proven character, and proven character yields hope. So I think we need to I think we need to go back to Scripture and look at these many passages, Romans 5, James 1, 1 Peter 4, elsewhere, that talk about how we are to respond to suffering. How are we to to prepare our hearts and our lives for the impending persecution that I think is coming and, and is already here in many places in the world? So I know that doesn't sound, excuse me for using this word, that doesn't sound sexy. You know, it doesn't sound sensational. It's not like I'm giving advice that, that people are going to go really rally around and get excited about and maybe ask me to do a TV program and talk about it. But that's what the biblical perspective is. Prepare your hearts. Go deeper in your confidence in the promises of God, your confidence in the goodness and the grace of Jesus, loving one another, serving one another in the body of Christ. What we might call the routine mundane responsibilities of, of Christian life in the local church. I love this. Okay, so I love this, that you go into the Word, and in order to prepare, the Word shows us to live the Christian life. 
do what Jesus did. Right. Serve, be self-controlled, walk in the fruit of the spirit, love. So despite or in spite of what's going on in the world around us, be a Christian, love your neighbor, love God. And be hopeful. You know, Paul talks about we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Well, he's talking about the glory that's going to be revealed at the second coming. First John 3, uh, 1 to 3, where he says, or yeah, no, 3, 1 to 3. Yeah, I think it is where he says that uh, what we are now is what we won't. We're going to be far more in the future than what we are now. We're the children of God. And, and when we see him, we'll be made like him. And then he says, and everyone who puts his hope in this purifies himself, even as Jesus is pure. So, yes, there needs to be an expectant attitude, a constant kind of craning of the neck, looking heavenward in hope that today is the day Jesus returns. So, yes, there is to be a heightened expectation, an intensified hope, a yearning, a longing uh, for the day when Jesus comes back. I don't think that means that we, you know, run to the hills or stock up on food or build a shelter in the backyard. I think it means we live out the Christian life as the New Testament calls us to. Well, amen. So you mentioned the return of Christ. So in your viewpoint in all millennialism, a friend of mine, a professor that I'd had called it, I think he called it present millennialism. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everybody That's good. Change their terms a little bit. You know, just I got friends and um, everybody tries to just make it, as you mentioned, saucier, you know, their viewpoints, you know. They like uh, realized millennialism is another one I've heard. Yeah, that's another one. Yes, sir. So in this viewpoint, the second coming of Jesus, what does that look like? Is it, you know, like depending on the views, you know, like uh, as I was taught dispensational, pre-trib, pre-millennialism in one group that I was taught in, you know, they believed literally the all Mount of Olives, Jesus descending upon that place in a certain moment of time, the rapture, just, uh, well, even that kind of messes up pre-trib, pre-mill, because it's all yeah. like two comings of Jesus, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a second coming, sure. but he's partially shows up at one, and then, anyway, that's neither here nor there. But in, in your view, what does the second coming of Jesus look like? Oh, glorious. <laughs> uh Yeah. Certainly, in my view, uh, and I know probably a lot of listeners to this program um, believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Uh, I do not. Uh, I, I, my view of tribulation is there's going to be tribulation. I don't think that it's necessarily going to be just seven years long. It could be 70 for all we know. It could be seven weeks. Who knows? But there's going to be intensified tribulation. I think all Christians can agree on that. I believe that, that basically what happens is this. Christ, First Thessalonians 4. Jesus returns with the trumpet of God, the shout of the archangel, all living believers. So let's say let's say this event happens in five minutes. Please, Lord. We would be instantly translated into the presence of Christ. We'd receive our glorified bodies. And then I think we continue with Christ in his descent to the earth. For example, the, the, uh, in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says we will be caught up into the air to meet the Lord. And it's interesting, that Greek verb to meet the Lord was a verb used commonly in extra biblical literature. It's even used once in the book of Acts to refer to the practice in the ancient world when a visiting dignitary like a king or a prince or a governor would come to a city. The population would go out to the edge of the city to meet him and then escort him back into the city. 
I think that's what happens. I think Christ descends, um, the rapture of all living saints, the resurrection of our bodies occurs. We meet him in the air and then we continue with him in his descent to the earth, at which time uh, the battle of Armageddon takes place. And all of the peoples of the earth who are in opposition to Christ and his kingdom are defeated. Um, and that's when the great white throne judgment occurs. The resurrection of all will have occurred. And Jesus inaugurates the new heavens, and the new earth that we read about in Revelation 21 and 22. So it's a, it's a singular event. It's not two coming separated by seven years or three and a half years. It's a singular event, but there are multiple uh, realities or, that are happening in this singular event. So again, Christ returns. Uh, the dead in Christ rise first. We'll let that part out. All those who are, who are with Christ in heaven, who accompany him at his, at his return, they get their resurrection bodies first. That's what Paul's saying in 1 Thessalonians 4. Then we who are alive, who remain until his coming, are caught up. We're resurrected, glorified. We join them. We all together, kind of like the um, his, his, his royal retinue, his parade, accompany him at the time of his second advent all the way to the earth, at which time he defeats his enemies. Amen. I'm enjoying having this conversation, Dr. Storms, uh, but we've only got one or a couple more minutes left. I'd love for you to pray for us, uh, for to be filled with hope, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to live the daily Christian life. Absolutely. Be happy to do that. Oh, Father, we do come to you now in the name of Jesus, and we thank you that we have this hope. And you tell us in Romans 5, it's a hope that will not bring us to shame because you will do what you have promised. And we live in hope of seeing and entering into and experiencing the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray for Christian men and women listening to this podcast uh, who may be uh, kind of lethargic and just kind of muddling through one day after another without that heightened expectation of Christ's coming. Lord, would you awaken in them by your spirit uh, a yearning, a hopeful expectation of seeing Jesus face to face? And then, Lord, would you help us all to be prepared in our hearts, um, quick to repent, loving one another faithfully, using our gifts to the building up of the body of Christ, making known the gospel of Jesus to a lost and dying world. So, Father, I pray you, you would temper any unbiblical zeal that would lead us to be uh, fanatically given over to some extreme behavior that has proven so devastating to Christians in past centuries. Help us to be sober-minded, self-controlled, and yet at the same time, urgently looking uh, to the heavens for the return of our Lord and Savior. We just pray that you would do this for the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Sam, what is the best way for people to get a hold of you for more information? They can go to my website, which is samstorms.org. That's S-A-M-S-T-O-R-M-S dot O-R-G. Uh, virtually everything that I write is available there. There are hundreds and hundreds of articles. All my sermons that I'm preaching uh, are available there, audio, video. If you want the, if you actually want the manuscript, the full-blown manuscript of all my sermons, you can get those at our church website. Bridgewaychurch.com. Bridgewaychurch.com. Obviously, also, um, when you go to my website, samstorms.org, 
right there on the right-hand side on the homepage is a link to uh, my podcasts. And uh, I've done, I did one on amillennialism. We basically rehearsed the very things that we've talked about here today. So uh, a lot of them are on the gifts of the spirit and the ministry of the spirit and other topics as well. So samstorms.org is the best way to do it. Awesome. I want to encourage everybody to check out samstorms.org, but also subscribe, rate, review, and share Adventures in the Spirit with Jared Lasky, available on Apple, Spotify, the Google Podcast, the Charisma Podcast Network, and please check out Dr. Sam Storms' podcast, Exploring Word and Spirit with Sam Storms, also on the Charisma Podcast Network. Thank you so much for listening to our conversation in Adventures in the Spirit. We hope that this podcast encouraged and inspired you to press into Jesus and launches you into your own adventure. You can stay up to date with Fireborn Ministries by going to our website, firebornministries.com, and like us on Facebook. And may you have your own Adventures in the Spirit. From iHeart Podcast, Supreme, the battle for Roe, tells the story of the unlikely champions behind the landmark case, Roe v. Wade. Starring Maya Hawke as 26-year-old lead attorney, Sarah Weddington. We're challenging the Texas abortion laws in federal court. And Academy Award nominee, William H. Macy, as Supreme Court Justice, Harry Blackman. Time is not the most important factor. Getting it right is. Listen to the podcast, Supreme, the battle for Roe, on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts.